0: Hi, I'm Carla Harris, host of Access and Opportunity, an award-winning show from Morgan Stanley that brings you diverse voices working to solve some of our toughest challenges, like Diana Chow.
1: I think when it comes to college students, what I would love to see is a greater recognition of the need for cultural diversity of care provision.
0: Find out how Diana is applying a global perspective to better mental health care for students. Listen to Access and Opportunity wherever you find your podcasts. From the Wall Street Journal, this is Instant Message. I'm David Pierce. This week on the show, we have three very different things to talk about, all on the subject of how and where we get internet access and how things change as that access gets faster. We'll talk about airplane Wi-Fi and whether it's ever going to get any better or less expensive. Later, I'll talk to Mark Peratt, the CEO of General Magic, maybe the most influential tech company you've never heard of. All about the early days of the smartphone and whether anybody in the 90s knew how important or how problematic the internet was going to turn out to be. But first... We've talked a bunch about 5G on this show, the super fast internet that everybody says is going to change everything for everybody forever and I don't even know what. But the reality is, it turns out slightly different so far. Uh, Here to explain Christopher Mims and fresh from her weeks-long 5G testing journey, Joanna Stern. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Everybody's here this week. This makes me so happy.
2: I missed the part at the beginning where we all pound shots before we do the podcast.
0: (laughs) I, I agree with that. We can we can bring that back even when it's just two of us. It'll be, it'll be fine. We're, or just oh, one of us, really.
1: I thought we all agreed that we did illicit drugs. We didn't do shots.
0: Shots can mean contract. a lot of things, Joanna. Okay. Um, so okay, so. Joanna, tell us, like, walk through your your journey over the last couple of weeks. Like, you've you've been crisscrossing the country. Uh, what was the what was the plan? What was the goal?
1: Well, my goal was to call you along the way every time oh, I would go glorious. out to test five G. All you dear listeners should know that I called David when I was very frustrated. Which was every
0: single day. That
1: was every day to complain about Uh the phones and to complain about the heat. Yeah, I mean, I I, like actually was funny on one of the testing tour, uh, one of the tours I was meeting with one of the companies like, how'd you draw the straw to do the 5G testing? That sucks. And I was like, no, I wanted to do this. (laughs) In fact, I didn't have to wrestle anyone to the ground to do it because I was the only one who wanted to do this. But
0: Yeah, which you would think in retrospect would have been telling that you, you were like, oh, we should do something 5G. And I was like, great idea. You should totally do it. Bye.
1: <laughs> yeah, because... Everyone's been buzzing and hyping about 5G. Mims, you've written some great pieces about 5G and all the craziness to, like, set up this infrastructure. The president's talking about it. We're going to win the race to 5G. We don't even know why it's a race. Like, everyone is talking about it. And I'm like, guys, the 5G networks, they're here. They're being set up this summer. And... I wanted to test it all.
0: Okay, so tell us about the testing process. So you go to I don't know, pick a city, and tell us like what it was like to go there and test five G.
1: Yeah, so I planned this it's out. It's not just
0: everywhere. You don't just get off the plane. It's and like, not five G.
1: It's not. It's it's much more complicated, and it turns out that you have to be in very specific conditions and very specific places to get five G right now. But so I basically devised the tours that I was going to test five G from all the four carriers in one of their cities, if I could do multiple ones, and I happened to be in another city where they had, you know, a couple of the carriers had. Coverage, I would test those. And so I decided to use the Samsung Galaxy S10 5G phone because. This was the first 5G phone announced in the U.S. a couple of months ago, but also it's the first phone that runs across all four networks. You need a different model on each network, but it is like it is the same phone made by Samsung that works on these. LG very has- scientific of you. Yes. Anyway, I decided to take this Samsung phone with me to, or I got four of the different Samsung phones, and I went to the cities. And the first place I went was Denver, where they had Verizon. And um, Verizon just lit up Denver two weeks ago or so, and it was like just like- Truly, like, knock your socks off fast. My socks fell off when I was like in how Denver. Fast?
0: How fast were we talking?
1: In Denver, I hit, like, our, the highest speeds of any anything, so it was 1,800 megabits per second.
0: Good Lord. Just to put a point on what that number means really quickly before we... That's 10 times as fast as my home Wi-Fi, which is very fast. Yep. Like, if I plug my... Phone, or if I plug my laptop in, I get like a hundred between 150 and 200 down. And you're telling me that just by standing on a street in Denver, you were getting speeds 10 times that fast.
1: Yes. It's 18 times faster than my home network. So yours that's faster. Insane. You're always faster than me, David. And then that's true. It's 52 times the average 4G or LTE download that we, most Good of Lord. us get. So it was, it's like, I like yes. was alone testing in Denver and just said to myself, holy Like I was like alone on a corner, just being like like anyone else. David, you pretended to care. It it meant a lot to me.
0: I'm glad I'm here for you. But wait. OK, so it's it's very fast. Everything's super exciting. Uh, And yet.
1: And yet. So it's summer now. I'm not sure our listeners know that or you guys know, but it's summer and it's hot in the summer. And it turns out that 5G phones right now, or at least this Samsung phone, doesn't work well in the summer. Turns out. As I discovered on my first trip to Denver, the external heat or compounded with the heat of the phone, uh, it, once it once the phone reaches a certain threshold of heat, Samsung wouldn't say the exact amount, the 5G modem sort of shuts off or the 5G shuts off. And I can't say specifically if it's the modem or the CPU or whatnot, but it hits a threshold and it then goes from 5G back to 4G. And this happens because either the phone is getting warm from an intensive test or and or, I think, it, I think it's been a combination of both when I was out and doing my testing, the external temperature is too hot. And so I had a hard time testing 5G because it's very hot outside.
0: It's summer and we can all still use our phones. So the idea that your phone would fall apart just because it's warm seems crazy on its face. But also, uh, it didn't seem like, I mean, you had a couple of days, like you were in Chicago, I think, when you were talking yep. about... Uh, it was, there was one day where it was like 90 degrees and you're like, ah, it's way too hot for 5g, which is a hilarious statement in and of itself. But you were like, oh, it's going to be nicer tomorrow. So everything should be fine. But then that was not the case, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, like it was, the next day was about 80 degrees. And so I was able to do, so basically what would happen is I would start to do these tests. And a lot of the tests were speed tests. Ookla makes an app called speed test. Many may be familiar with it. You fire it up, you do, it runs some sort of, small upload and download tests, and it gives you the score of what the upload speed and the download speed is. Running two or three of those tests could shut down the 5G and push me back to 4G. So on some of these really hot days, when it was like 90, I would maybe get one or two of those tests to run, and then it would fall back, and I'd have to find either a way to cool the phone or give the phone a little break. On other days, I would maybe get a couple of those tests to keep going, and the combination of the tests being like, intensive like sometimes i was downloading a lot of netflix uh netflix episodes um that in combination with the warmer temperatures would cause it to fall back so yeah, so,
0: okay so it. let me if if i can if i can just try to bring all these things together so you're in one particular city in one particular place with one particular phone on one particular carrier uh in one particular set of weather conditions, you can get really fast internet. Is that is that basically the result of your test?
1: That is really the basic result of my test. And I should back up here and just explain a Yay. little bit about the technology here. So Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are currently using for their 5G deployments, what they're calling millimeter wave, or it is called millimeter wave technology. And this is super, super fast speeds at pretty short distances. And so when I would go to these cities, I would ask the carriers, okay, where are the areas of the city you have 5G now? And they would direct me to an area, and they'd say, actually, our cell tower is on this, you know, this street meets this street. And so in this area, around this area, like, and you'd have to be, like, honestly, within a number of feet of that cell tower, you could get 5G. Here's the other thing about millimeter wave. It doesn't go very far, and it also doesn't penetrate walls or like obstacles. Like sometimes it can have a hard time. Like if the if the tower is behind a tree or there is a statue, you may if you're standing between the tower and that you know on the other side of the statue or the obstacle, you may not get as fast speeds or even get the signal. So right now, this is a big sort of shortcoming of millimeter wave. There are other bands or other, other flavors or types of 5G connectivity that are going to come. You're going to get mid-band, which is what Sprint has deployed now, and I did get to test in Chicago, that is not as fast, but it spans longer distances. And, and I think it's I you know, had some debates with some analysts and said, I think this is more confusing than the 4G rollout, because 4G was just like, okay, where well, it's going to take a time to get to places, but like you have three different levels or types of, of 5G at this point that only certain types of carriers will have access to because of spectrum. And so Sprint has mid-band right now, and they have that in a couple of cities. And then low-band is what's coming at the end of this year, beginning of next year, from AT&T and T-Mobile. And low-band, similar to mid-band, is going to span longer distances and will be able to go through buildings. Though, again, speeds won't be as fast as that millimeter wave.
0: So, Christopher, I feel like you've been the... the doom and gloom 5G one of, of the folks that I regularly read. Uh, you've written a bunch about how this is going to be a problem. Do you feel sort of vindicated by all of this that maybe 5G is actually just a bigger mess than, than the sort of life-changing, everything-is-going-to-be-wonderful thing we thought it might be immediately?
2: I, I think as soon as you understand just how many more radios have to be rolled out in how many more places to make this millimeter work. Here's the analogy, okay? Imagine if you wanted to roll out a new cellular network and it had to be comprised entirely of Wi-Fi hotspots, because that's really not far from what these uh, millimeter wave, uh, quote unquote, towers really sites, because they can be as small as a pizza box, are like. You would have to stick a Wi-Fi hotspot um, like every 200 feet on a lamppost or a building or a sign. And now you've got to deal with like locals who are afraid that it's going to cause cancer or something, which by the way, it doesn't, it doesn't even penetrate the skin. You've got to get wireless backhaul, which means wires to all of those and power, which is why they're putting it a lot on lampposts. So you got to get all those rights aways. You got to trench new places and streets and they, they have all these tricks to make it easier. They're like, Oh, we do like micro trenching. Like we dig a trench. That's like an inch wide with like a giant saw. And it's like, cool. You still have to roll out so much of this. And so I think there is some validity to Sprint being like, look, it's only going to be sort of faster with mid band, but at least we can just stick new radios on existing towers. The idea that you're just going to stick so many new radios everywhere. And as Joanna said, you walk 10 feet and suddenly you're out of The signal, like, that's crazy. It's like everything that we hated about our home Wi-Fi five years ago, but now it's outdoors and it's the signal that we're supposedly relying on for this ultra-fast connectivity. It's just silly. We'll get there, but... God, is it going to take so much money and time?
1: Yeah, I think that was my, like, everything you just said. Like, that's how my week went, right? Like, I was walking around cities looking. I was I would have a, on my email or I'd screenshot parts of my email that said, go to this corner and look for this tower, right? And, like, it would be on lampposts or they would have erected a kind of like a I kept calling them like giant gumbies without arms. They're just like these huge green towers, ugly things (laughs) in the middle of Denver. And I would have to look for them and be near them and know that I could like be within that distance, and I, I, in my video, I actually took like a tent on the street because it was like the only way to get 5G is to like set up camp on next to these towers. And I did in Chicago see exactly what you're talking about, uh, Chris, which was a Sprint older tower that they had put up a radio, a 5G radio, in the middle of two other ones, and so it was easier for them because they didn't have to erect these things. And um, but the, the speeds were not as fast.
0: So what I mean, what did the companies and and I guess especially the carriers tell you, Joanna? Like, what was their response to the issues that you had?
1: Well, the carriers are really just like. We're on our first step here, right? We're we're starting to roll this stuff out. Uh, AT and T and T Mobile are very excited about low band that's coming. T Mobile is very excited, or they they hope to be very excited about the merger with Sprint because then they'll have low band, millimeter wave, and mid band from Sprint. So they're really betting on that. Um, the bigger response was from Samsung, which makes the device, and they they sort of just said like we designed this heat threshold to keep people safe, first of all, but also to preserve the power and the battery life of the phone. So when something gets too warm, it means a lot of power is being exerted. And we want to tamp back that power. And so we can can save um, the end user uh, or give the end user a better experience. And, you know, same thing. It's like sort saying we
0: only let your car go 25 miles an hour. So it won't hurt you if something bad happens. It's like the Correct. good idea sort of in theory but the, there are better answers than that, I think.
1: Yeah, and it's all like it, you know it's going to get better, right? The the statement from Samsung was it's only going to get better as the ecosystem and 5G technology evolve. So you know, I think this was, I was super interested just because of all the hype. And it it really turns out that right now it's just hype. Yes, you can get these super fast speeds, but why? And that was like, I actually went into the story feeling like, oh, I'm going to get to the bottom of like how we're going to use 5G on our phones and what's going to be like what we're going to use 5G in everyday life for. And it turns out like that didn't become the story just because I stumbled upon all these heat issues and all the shortcomings of the technology. But I also, that was another major thing was like, so what? Like, so I can download Netflix a little bit faster before I get on a plane, or I can get a little bit faster um, connection to stream a video. That doesn't really make much of a difference. And I think that's, again, why we're really at these early days. It's And the carriers are saying this as well. It, this is all about getting the, the network out there. So um, developers and some of the people on the cutting edge of this innovation, whether it's self-driving cars or AR or whatever can start to use a network to build these future things.
2: Yeah, and and to their credit, I mean, the idea that we would be streaming video to and from our phone, I mean, imagine that uh, around, you know, the era of the first iPhone or even the second or the third iPhone, you know, the idea that this would be the dominant mode of social media or that something like Facebook Live would exist or TikTok, like that's crazy. And yet all of those were, uniquely enabled by 4g so i believe them when they're like new technologies are going to come along we don't know what they are but as we've seen before it requires a lot of other unlocking technologies you know can it turns out that a uh, a phone with a front-facing camera was it you know everybody made fun of the selfie camera back in the day now it's essential uh you know we don't know like what it's going to be whenever they're like oh it's going to be ai or something maybe it'll probably be something much simpler and dumber though anything that teens are into that's what it'll be i
1: mean the one thing (laughs) and this just kind of goes back to the David, are you saying, like, yeah, it's 10 times faster than my home Wi-Fi? Sprint does have this uh, hotspot a hub. Uh, five. It's the HTC 5G hub. And you can connect up to 20 devices on this 5G little device. And it's actually a great little device with a screen and all that. It shows you which devices you're connected to. Like, it's just a hotspot on steroids, right? And you can imagine, like, I don't think this is actually going to happen just because of the one competition and two price. But you could imagine that just being your central... Internet connection. You could say I'm just going to pay for cellular connection, 5G through Verizon, and you don't need to pay for your home cable and your home internet. Um, I don't think that's going to happen for a number of reasons, um, but it would be fast enough.
0: So my big takeaway as a as a user and as like a person who buys gadgets was basically that uh, waiting for a 5G phone right now is a waste of your time. That like this is coming, it'll be cool, but it's probably going to be a bunch of phones from now. And if you're on the fence about whether to buy a new phone and you're thinking, should I wait for something 5G? The answer is probably no.
1: Is that fair? I think that's fair, though. Like, we have a lot of this behind-the-scenes talk right now. Apple and talks to buy Intel's uh, 5G modem business or chip business. I mean, there's a lot going into 5G smartphones, and, and it might just become this kind of staple in the next three years. I think it's probably two to three years that every phone has, or m- most of the phones on, like, new phones have 5G but I don't think we know yet why we want it.
0: Right. Or when we'll actually get it. Because if, if the answer is stand on this one street corner when it's less than 60 degrees, I feel like we're, we're nowhere. As, as anyone who ever flies for work, including all three of us, can attest, airplane Wi-Fi is basically a nightmare. It's super expensive. It's super slow. Sometimes it doesn't even work. It's in my opinion, basically not even worth trying. Joanna, this is another thing you complain to me about all the time is all the slow Wi-Fi on your planes.
1: I love plane Wi-Fi. No. <laughs> I, I, it's the, the yeah. thing that I buy. It, I, I buy a bad product every time I fly.
0: Yeah, and then you regret it, but you also really never had a choice. This is your life. But anyway, the good news is things are getting better. Uh, at least that's what Scott McCartney, the journal's middle seat columnist, believes. Uh, let's see if we can call him and have him explain why. <laughs> Hi, Scott. You wrote this thing about airplane Wi-Fi, and I have lots of questions about airplane Wi-Fi. But the first thing that I realized is I have no idea how airplane Wi-Fi actually works. I feel like I have this idea in my head that is based on nothing. So can you explain sort of right off the top, like, how is it that if you're on a plane, you can get Wi-Fi? How does that work?
3: Well, basically, there's a there's a hot spot in the ceiling of the airplane that that your laptop or your phone or your iPad connects to. Uh, equipment on board the airplane takes all the data that you're using and and everybody else on the airplane who's who's using the service and kind of packages that and transmits to the ground. Um, now there's two ways of doing it. Um, one is almost like a cell service where you connect to an antenna on the ground and the airborne Wi-Fi companies uh, primarily. Primarily, go go. Put up antennas all over the country um, and all over North America, and each plane flying above connects to the nearest tower. The other way is with satellite connections, and and that works much better. Um, and so airlines are upgrading to satellite. So let's
2: okay. cut to the chase. Who do I fly if I want not bad Wi-Fi? Like who's who's gonna who's gonna use this as a differentiator? Get on my plane. It's got the smoothest, fastest Wi-Fi. To space or whatever?
3: Yeah, no, the The best example so far is JetBlue. Um, Jet, JetBlue has really good satellite Wi-Fi service. Um, they have a lot of capacity and they decided to make it free, much as they did in their early days with free live TV. But nobody else can provide, so far, the free satellite Wi-Fi service. You, you can't make it free if you're still using ground-based antennas because there's just not the capacity. So for... For satellite service, um, if you got the capacity and you can get the, the price low, um, maybe bring in a sponsor, um, you can make it free. And so far, JetBlue is the only one who's been able to do that.
1: Scott, you know what the worst thing is? When you spend like, yeah, like $6,000 on your, your Wi-Fi on the airplane and then it doesn't work and it just... Yep. You mean every it, time? I mean, yeah, every time. Every time I spend $6,000 of my company's hard-earned money, then I expense it when I come back from my trip. And I go to log into the portal. And then, you know, the the sites just don't load. And it's not even sometimes it's not even, there's there's two things. One time it just doesn't, like, it. it's just really slow, right? That's like one option, just super slow. And But then the, there's the other thing where it just does not work. Like, the router on the airplane is, like, needs to be unplugged and replugged back
3: in. It's a mistake that flight attendants often make, you know, turning it off and turning it on. The Wi-Fi may be working for 10 people, but not for the next 20 who, who want to use it. The flight attendant recycles it, everybody gets kicked off. Uh, and it doesn't doesn't fix the problem. Really, um, and you're you're right about the pricing, although not six thousand dollars, but the, I mean the highest pricing when we, we looked at it was uh, was about forty one dollars for for a domestic flight. That's a lot of money, and it's so much especially money, especially for bad service. And, and there is this really weird problem with airplane Wi Fi, where the where the worst service is the most expensive. And the best service is the cheapest. I mean, only in the airline industry. So everybody's trying to upgrade. Um, It's very expensive to do, but it's very important to passengers so they're doing it. But you can see the problem with the ground-based go-go service. So you you price it at $40, hoping that a lot of people won't take it. And then and you have a 6-hour flight across the country and in the middle of the day that's that's a long time for people to be disconnected these days and so a lot of people will pay the $40 no matter how high you run the price up they're they're still going to try and log on and they're still going and they're going to get the higher you price it the the more pissed off they're going to be that that it doesn't work
1: yeah that's me that's well, definitely me
0: so that's the thing for me though I, I feel like a lot of these people are going to be just expensing the Wi-Fi like Joanna is. So at some level, yeah. the price is maybe not so important. And what I wonder, like, it makes sense to me that there's this big incentive for the airlines to make Wi-Fi better, but I can't really understand why they would make it cheaper. If anything, leave the price the same and make it better. And everybody's like, hooray, you know, at least it got
3: slightly better. So why why is this getting cheaper? Um, because they do want more people to use it. Um, because if you're if you're going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars upgrading your fleet, um, you don't want to do that for only 10% of your passengers. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, the, the tests that they've run um, do show that even if you charge a dollar, it makes a difference in the take rate. It's the hassle of taking your credit card out. Um, you know, If you charge for it, your, your take rates are really around six or 7%, definitely less than 10%. If you make it free, uh, you get forty, fifty, sixty percent of the people on the airplane. You get there have been some flights that have been free where because people will log in multiple devices, there are actually more devices connected than there are passengers. Hmm. Um, you know, you may be sitting there working on your laptop and streaming music. It, it makes a whole lot more sense if you're going to invest that money. Um, if fifty, sixty percent of your passengers are actually benefiting from it,
1: I would probably be more forgiving of the speeds if I heard a dial-up sound. Maybe we can pipe that like audio in here
3: while it
2: loads. For you. Right,
1: like if I heard or the like dial-up a little, sound,
2: uh, a little bar graph showing how many other people are connected and struggling just like you are. That, that would make me feel better too. Seat.
3: I think it's also clear to airlines from their customer satisfaction scores uh, that you can buy happier passengers if you invest in Wi-Fi. Um, it, at some airlines, it's the number one source of complaints mm-hmm. about fine service. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if you could sit there and stream Netflix and, and watch a movie and, you know, really enjoy that, well, well, then you don't care as much that the flight is late or the, the, the flight attendant was surly or there's no food on the airplane or the guy next to you has his elbow in your side or, or whatever it might be. That flight might be more enjoyable to you. Um, and airlines do track customer satisfaction closely. And this is one area that, you know, short of giving everybody more legroom, which would be enormously expensive for them, um, you can actually buy happier customers.
2: It reminds me of like, you know, the, the parental habit of handing a kid a phone or a tablet. Like you're saying, you can, you can just, you, you can, it can be like stale air, no food, cramped legroom. And you just you give people Wi-Fi and it's like handing them an adult pacifier. Suddenly they're happy. You
3: know, it used to be in the airline business. It was the empty middle seat that was the key to customer satisfaction. <laughs> if the middle seat next to you was empty, the surveys that they did show the flight was more on time. The food tasted better. The, you know, you, you name it. People were just happier if the, with the service if the middle seat was empty. The middle seat is no longer empty, but um, I think this is sort of the replacement for that.
0: So for I, I have a flight tomorrow, which I'm assuming is gonna have terrible Wi Fi, but when when does it feel like this stuff is gonna start to be sort of widely available for cheaper or free to people when, when they fly?
3: It's already happening. They're really hustling to get there. Now they can't go free until they have th- that capability on all their flights right because you don't want to go free if you've still got airplanes on ground-based um, mm-hmm. systems that would just be totally ruined but you know we're about two years away from um really uh, getting rid of at least on the larger aircraft i think the ground-based systems will always be there on the small regional airplanes they tend to work a little bit better just because you have fewer people on the on the aircraft um but um uh, probably over the next two years, you'll really notice a difference.
1: One of the things you discussed in your article is the the presence of the sponsorships. And you think more and more of these things will yeah. go
3: free? Yeah. 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 And I think that's, um, that's kind of the price we'll, we'll have to pay, you know, much like watching an ad to get the free airport Wi-Fi or whatever. It, uh, JetBlue has a partnership with Amazon that helps uh, defray some of the cost of their free service. Um, and, you, and you already see this this creeping in. Um, American has a deal with Apple to provide free Apple Music. T-Mobile has um, a deal with GoGo. I do think airlines will uh, try and line up as many partnerships as they can to, to cover the cost. makes sense. You know, even without the partnerships, they're going to have to eat the cost.
0: Awesome. Well, Scott, you have to get to the airport, but thank you for doing this. Uh, I really appreciate you being sure. here. Glad to do it. Okay, Joanna, I have to know, how big a change would it be in your life if you had fast free Wi-Fi on every flight? I feel like you of all people I know would like trade an organ for that to exist now.
1: I mean I will just be a I will be like what he was saying I will be a much happier traveler like my biggest frustrations come from the slow Wi-Fi. Like, somebody farts next to me, I don't care. I'm just like, my Wi-Fi is slow. I could deal with all yeah. of it.
0: Really? Like, you look before you book a flight to make sure that it has. Yes, alpha.
1: always. Interesting. Aspe- I mean, not for personal travel, which I barely do sure. any of because I have a two-year-old. Um, but I, if I'm traveling for work, I am I do not know the last time I wasn't on a, not- a Wi-Fi flight. Fair I mean, most enough. of the time it's because, like, I want to write when I'm on the plane and do research or I need to get to Google Docs. And I know I can do all these things offline, but, like it just and probably anxiety i don't like 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 he was saying i don't like being not reachable
2: i mean the bottom line is you can either work on the plane or work when you get to your destination which would we rather do
1: i do both mims (laughs) i was just gonna say the answer's
2: both
0: Coming up in just a second, my interview with Mark Peratt about general magic, the history of the smartphone, and what happens when you have a great idea that turns out to make somebody else $600 billion. But first, it's time for our weekly segment, Today I Learned, in which one of us brings something interesting or new that we learned this week. Uh, I have one this week, but first, I want to know, have either of you seen the new Lion King movie?
1: No, but I want to so bad.
0: I can't decide. It's apparently... Very weird, uh, but also made a ton of money, and it's The Lion King, and Beyonce's in it. So I feel like it. There, I don't know. There's a lot going for it, but uh, I'm curious. Okay, but so the thing that I learned this week is that this movie was made in a a sort of new and exciting way that a lot of people think is going to be how a lot of movies are made. So it's basically. In a certain way of thinking about it like an animated movie. They shot this movie entirely in VR and and John Favreau, the director, and his director of photography and whoever else would put on these VR headsets and it would actually transport them into uh, the, the Sahara where they could see the world uh, and watch actually the things happen in the Lion King movie and they could then basically be in the space and say, okay, I need a light up there and then digitally put a light in the space and then have the characters moving around as they were. And so they essentially like built this whole animated universe and then could just operate it like a video game to make whatever shot they want. And then they just sort of cut out a piece of it and that's the frame you see in the movie. So very little of it was actually filmed. It's made essentially like an animated movie and also like a video game. And it was this wild process that's apparently getting really good really fast. And a lot of people think you're going to start to see these things that look super real. But are still CGI and kind of voiceovery, and this like this big blur of all these different styles is is going to be a real thing. But from what I've heard, I haven't seen the movie either. But I'm I'm very curious. There's this sense that some people are getting that we are like deep in this uncanny valley of it's almost real but not quite real enough, and uh, it kind of freaks people out. So I'm I'm curious to see how it lands. Uh, you guys have to report back if you watch it.
1: But are the animals real?
0: They are in our hearts, Joanna. They're real to you. They're, they're going to be real to your son. They're real to me. And that's all that matters.
1: You're telling me the animals and are not real.
0: I am, I am telling you that, yes. But don't tell anyone else. they the
1: Is this the same situation as Santa? Uh,
0: no. Santa is real. Okay. Uh, and not CGI. But Beyonce is also Santa. So they have that
1: in common. Wow. Okay.
0: Yeah. With that said, if you if you go see The Lion King uh, and you want to tell me how you felt about it, please email us at message at wsj.com. Uh, Next up, the story of one of Silicon Valley's most important companies and its most epic failures. This message is brought to you by Nuveen. Nuveen has provided investment excellence for 125 years. A lot has changed, but one thing that remains constant, including the different types of durable income and portfolios, can help investors meet their goals. With expertise across income and alternatives, Nuveen continues to expand its capabilities while maintaining its legacy as a leading investment manager. Visit nuveen.com to learn more. Investing involves risk. Loss of principle is possible. Welcome back. The story we're about to talk about starts in the late 1970s when a guy named Mark Peratt is a PhD student at Stanford. His dissertation was a look at the post-manufacturing future of the United States as we moved towards what he decided to call the information economy. In his thesis, Mark asked all these questions about what the future was going to look like. Were we prepared for what would happen when the computer and telecommunication networks seeped into every part of business and life and everything? Turns out we weren't. A few years later, Mark went on to found General Magic, a company that, for all intents and purposes, tried to build the iPhone 15 years before Apple did. General Magic is now best known for the team it put together. People who worked there went on to create Android, to found eBay, to work at the White House, to create the iPhone and the iPod, and lots of other things. The team's the subject of a new documentary, also called General Magic, that tells the story of General Magic's work and its ultimate failure. They had so many things right so long before anyone else, and they just couldn't pull it off. It's a really interesting story of timing, of the fight between technology and business and culture, and just of how how easy it is to fail even when you're right. Mark was the CEO of General Magic and its sort of spiritual guide. The whole thing he told me came from an idea he had one day while at the Aspen Institute. He'd been thinking about his dissertation, wondering what the information economy world was actually gonna
4: look like. And all of a sudden went poof. It was, it was an experience that was a little bit out of body. And one could, for me, it was kind of like a mystical moment, <laughs> But but basically what it was is there it is and what the there is is we're all going to be walking around with tiny handheld mobile computers they're all going to be wireless and they're going to access this thing which in those days didn't wasn't called the cloud we we did start calling it the cloud a general Manager. but it was it was networks of things out there all out there and we were going to consume content and do commerce wrote the whole thing went to apple and i said uh, this is when Apple was declining. Steve had left, and so Apple was crashing down to 4% market share or something like that. And I said, uh, this is the future of Apple. And I was recruited in and to, to work on advanced stuff. I said, this is the future of Apple. It's not a computer. It's a, it's a tiny little handheld personal communicator. And that's where they thought I was crazy. A lot of people thought <laughs> I was crazy. But the board of directors of Apple, to their credit, did not. Um, and so I proselytized in, in Apple Talk. It was evangelized internally to everybody. Finally, there was a, it was a Pied Piper effect, not referring to the HBO series <laughs> <laughs> of, the same, of the same name, but there was, there was an effect where suddenly there was a critical mass. And that, was, that became very true when Andy Hertzfeld and Bill Atkinson saw it, joined it like in a heartbeat. And I, we then saw the need to actually instantiate the object in a model so people would see what it was, so we did. Okay. So we made a whole family of little personal communicators that went from tiny little things the size of an of a, uh, Apple Watch to slightly bigger things the size of an, uh, an iPhone to slightly bigger things the size of a mini you know, uh, iPad. That, that's, that was our product set.
0: But so what what was your sense? I mean, as you guys were sort of like, if if you were if you were to go back to, you know, 1989 you, and think about what 2019 might look like, like, what what was your sense of kind of how the world will shape around what General Magic
4: is working on? Yeah, some things we got right, some things we got wrong. So, So I'll give you some things we got right. Everybody was going to have a smartphone. Yep. It was going to be intimate, it was going to be a jewel like Thing.
0: And you were even calling it a smartphone.
4: We were calling times, it a right? smartphone yeah. and a personal communicator. Okay, and yes, yeah, a lot of the presentations I made was we are reinventing telephony, which is interesting because Steve Jobs said the same. thing. I was going to say there's sort of an amazing <laughs> mirror between that and the iPhone, which we'll, we'll we'll get to. But yeah, and the and the link was Andy Hertzfeld. Nonetheless, it was it was it was that feeling that we were reinventing telephony it was going to be a beautiful object it was going to be extremely powerful it was going to connect us to everybody as much as we wanted to we knew that okay. the device itself beautiful in itself useful in itself for for us then and for me certainly as i began to talk about it was only a a key to a lock to unlock the world of content and communication
0: interesting okay
4: that's all it was it was an, it was it was a, it was a beautiful key the key you wanted to hold sure it was it has aesthetic you know huge properties of of tactile satisfaction but it was but ultimately its real purpose was unlock the door to knowledge and content and other people and i think that that is in fact very very true
0: it's just it's so hard to think about all the stuff you're saying in terms of you know 30 years ago when none of that existed uh, and and you say at one point in the film that you just sort of forced yourself out of thinking that you were too early, or this wouldn't work, or something. But there had to be part of you that was sitting there thinking, none of this exists. It's all going to someday, I think. But none of this does. Are we too early? Are we are we doing the right thing at the wrong time? Which spoiler alert, you, you were. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, did you we, know that at the time?
4: We did, and we were okay. told that. Okay. And we told each other that. Okay. And so, how do you? What do you do with that? Damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. So, Alan Kay was an ample fellow when I was there. One of the most brilliant people, uh, famously said, "The best way to predict the future is to invent it." It's you know, it's a you could think of it as an arrogant statement, or you can think of it as an inspiration. Uh, I thought of it as an inspiration. So, the fact that the future didn't actually have anything, the infrastructure to support it, didn't dissuade us made it a challenge as it didn't dissuade any of the great inventors. So General Magic worked away for several more years, trying to build something very
0: much like a smartphone, despite the fact that most of the stuff required to make a smartphone, the technology and the content and the connectivity just didn't exist. Then in the summer of 1994, General Magic announced its first two products. This was its coming out party. One was from Sony, called the Magic Link, and one was from Motorola, called the Envoy Personal Wireless Communicator. It's really quite a name. The best way I can describe them is that they look kind of like the devices you use to sign your name at the DMV or wherever. There's some smartphone DNA in here, for sure, everything running on a black and white screen, but it has this big rectangular plastic case around it and just clearly isn't quite what Mark Pratt had been designing. Both devices ran software called Magic Cap, which had this cool sort of room-based software setup, and General Magic thought it might be kind of like Windows for the new generation of products. Both devices connected to a network through AT&T, which could manage some of General Magic's cool features, like booking flights for you, but still didn't connect to the broader internet. And this was right as the World Wide Web was starting to take off, which General Magic actually knew all about.
4: And in fact, we pivoted to put... Uh, sort of native web stuff into our phones so a browser just like, just like any just like any smartphone it has a normal browser and uses you know uses the internet and that's it's normal it would be very normal. strange
0: to get a phone now without a browser it would yeah. be impossible it, yeah. was,
4: it, would, it would be like a, it, would be, what, it would be a shoe a, a toaster <laughs> right. it would be you know, like, you know, building materials I mean it wouldn't be a phone so we, we knew that and and we had a huge huge to me that was the conflict moment mm. when I got scared privately because again, it's you know you're not you're not allowed to show your true feeling. It's a very lonely thing. You can't show your feeling, <laughs> but I got to because I knew that that was where it was going, and yet what we would have to do is rip the guts out of the operating system and rebuild it so it'd be natively able to talk and browse TCP/IP and you know HTML and all the things that that we know to be today's technologies. I knew we knew that we were shipping something whose guts would have to be his brain would have to be torn out. Um, I recall it differently than others in the company. I recall an intern uh, coming to us um, and saying, um, "You've got to, you've got to, you got to do the web." And so, and then I remember someone coming in with Mosaic. This is something that others sure. don't. I can't get, get I, no verification of this ever happened, <laughs> but I remember vividly someone came in with Mosaic, which was a black and white. You know, Mark Andreessen's browser. Uh, in black and white on a black and white screen, or maybe green and black if you were lucky, uh, and we put it up and it crashed. And we put it up and it crashed, and it did, it did that for hours. It just, we couldn't get it to work, finally we got it to work, and, and we could have, should have, would have stopped right there and said, stop. Mm-hmm. This horrible experience, user experience of this piece of software that's crashing all around us, and it's in black and white, it's you know, ick. That's the future. So if we'd waited for digital cellular which would have taken another four years. And if we waited for Mosaic to grow up and become something, which is a couple of years, we would have been right in the zone. So life is lovely when you can look Backwards. And now we
0: get to the reason why you may never have heard of General Magic. General Magic's first devices flopped. You could blame the lack of internet connection or the fact that no Netflix or Google existed yet to give people stuff to do on these devices or just the fact that people weren't ready for this kind of always connected device. You could definitely blame the really high prices. That was a big problem. But even still, even as it struggled to sell, Mark and the team were still convinced that this was the future. This was the world we were all going to live in someday. But It turned out that after all those years of working insane hours trying to make this game changing device that ultimately nobody wanted, General Magic just couldn't keep going. Even as cellular connection was becoming a thing, even as the World Wide Web was blowing up, the company just couldn't do it anymore.
4: We didn't have the stamina, the energy, the money, or the backing of our founders to spend those five years. Now, interestingly, and so, so that was the moment when I went, oh boy, oh boy this is this is a real problem because we've run a marathon at sprint speed as i said in the film from 1991 to 1995 four years of marathon now we need to do another four years so you've done with the marathon you're 26 miles woohoo give me a glass of water no 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 26 more miles same speed if not faster and we just couldn't do it we just couldn't we were i mean we were some of us w- destroyed our personal lives trying to make this thing happen. And, um, and so, to then, there was nothing else to destroy. You know, we, we, our stamina was gone, our money was gone, our, in some cases, you know, family life was shambles. Was, was How do you do another four years? But that's what was needed at that time, and that was the number one kind of crisis that precipitated the beginning of the end, and people knew it. And uh, we, couldn't, we couldn't make that pivot because we had done so much uh, to, uh, you know, to, to bring it forward.
0: That, that moment you're describing, I think happens to a lot of people and a lot of companies working on interesting things where you hit this point that it's like, I've done, we've done as much as we can and I don't know how we can possibly do anymore. But I wonder if you had sold, if it had done kind of well, not life changing, you know, earth shatteringly well, but kind of well, do you think it would have felt totally different or, or was it did it feel like we didn't get to the moon on the first try, and so we just have to stop?
4: We would have called Steve, and said, "Hey, Steve, you know, what are you doing with next?" And are you know making 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 you know comic comic movies, <laughs> which I <laughs> love, by the way. Yeah. The best films. In that all. worked out okay for it. It worked out just fine. Um, <laughs> you know, come take over this company and, and 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 do something with it. Okay. And even if you had to tear down the proprietor and go out of sort of go dark for a year, which was what, what I would have done, I'd have said, you know, guys. Close the doors, close the windows, we're going dark for a year, then we'll come out maybe even less than a year, maybe not, maybe a year, and then we're gonna come out. Now, what's the hubris there? The hubris there is that what I just said to you means that by 1997, 1998, 1999, certainly by 2000, there's no doubt about it, um, we would have um, shipped the iPhone.
2: What
0: actually happened is General Magic went out of business. A lot of employees went back to Apple, others went elsewhere. And then, in 2007, Steve Jobs got on stage at Macworld and announced a device that sounded a lot like the one General Magic had been working on more than a decade earlier. An
3: iPod,
2: a phone, and an internet communicator. An iPod, a phone. Are you getting it? These are not three separate devices. This is one device. And we are calling it
3: iPhone.
0: Mark says he still remembers that day in January of 2007 really well. He said before that what he felt was mostly pride, that the people he'd worked with like Tony Fidel and Andy Hertzfeld had gone on to be crucial parts of the iPhone project and finish what they started. But I don't really buy that. Or I guess I 60% buy that. The other 40%, at least in my brain, would be some mix of things. Furious that I told everyone about this thing and now they're making it without me. Mad at all the money they're gonna make from it and just wanting to scream, this was my idea. That had to be at least 40% of it, right? Your 60-40
4: is actually 33, a third, a third, a third. Let me tell you what okay. they are. Okay. The, the the biggest third of the, the three-thirds <laughs> sure. is, is the personal price that I paid and that I made others paid particularly my family mm-hmm. that's the biggest third the second third is we put we gave the, the most talented team it was really was a the place was just full of pixie dust yeah. everybody wanted to work there worked our hearts out and we were absolutely right and we couldn't get it over the line and the last third which is what you are talking about um, didn't come until more, more recently when the when when Sarah Karush said we're making a movie mm-hmm. because about that time Um, Apple hit last year, hit a trillion dollar market cap and I, you know, we don't know, but maybe 600 billion of it was, was the iPhone. So we missed out on $600 billion. I didn't even think about that until recently. Yeah. When you put it like that, I didn't really think about it. I didn't quantify it. It was like, I wish I'd done it. You know, Mike Stern, our great general counsel said, I wish we'd done it, but I'm glad it got done. But uh, you know, but talk to the guy that that had Facebook and didn't didn't ship it. Who were the visionaries who took it right to the edge of the line? And someone else made the, you know, billion. talk talk to the guy who sold Bill Gates MS DOS for you know for twenty nine cents in a cucumber. So so that's we are in that kind of position. You can, you can't really, and I don't dwell on it because because to, to dwell on something like that seriously dwell on it um, is, is, would, would induce mental, uh, aberrations <laughs>
0: and really get, you nowhere and
4: get you absolutely nowhere.
0: Yeah. With all this time of, of sort of hindsight and evidence now, like, were smartphones a good idea? Like, were you right in the seventies that this was, this is where we should have gone? Cause yes. we, we built your vision.
4: Yes. Oh, well, thank you for that. But that's, that's an overstatement, but we've built a vision that became the predominant vision. Um, um, the answer is yes. Okay. Absolutely yes. And 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 not. It's not because one has to be a technology optimist to say that. It's because the technology was inevitable. The ideas were inevitable. The society. The everything. All the conditions were there. And it and and every powerful instrument. Every powerful technology or tool uh, has a dark side. The essence of the smartphone being so intimate means that the smartphone is a mirror. It's a reflection of of our human nature of each person's humanity and if their if their humanity is boring the the smartphone will be boring if it's if it's creative and lovely and juicy and loving it'll be that and if it's and if it's pernicious and ugly and and disgusting it'll be that in other words you can't blame the technology because the technology is so good the iphone is so intimate it's so it's so bound in almost to the dna of of the person using it, that uh, it's simply a reflection of our own human nature. For much
0: more on the General Magic story, you can watch the General Magic documentary on Showtime now. It's a great use of a free trial, just saying. It's also coming to the iTunes store and other places soon. I really recommend it. It's a great film. Anyway, that's our show for the week. Thanks to Mark, Scott, Joanna, and Christopher for being here. Thanks to Tanya, our producer, and Wilson, our spiritual guide and Sherpa and editor. Most of all, thank you for listening. We have new episodes on Fridays, so make sure you subscribe to Instant Message wherever you get your podcasts. As always, if you have feedback or ideas, email us at instantmessage at We'll talk to you soon.